Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. Remembering a television icon. We'll do that in just a moment. But first, reminding you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business success. Because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity, visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Michelle, you want to help Daddy separate the laundry? I'm not busy. Okay, everything red, green, yellow, or bright color goes in this pile. And everything white goes in this pile. You got it? Got it, dude. Oh, no, Michelle. No food in the laundry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, honey. It's not your fault. Daddy didn't explain it right. I was a bad boy. Go to your room. That, of course, is Bob Saget, who played Danny Tanner on Full House and so many other things throughout his storied and great career, who passed away over the weekend. And also, on a personal note, a very dear friend of ours. Absolutely. And the tributes have been pouring in ever since this stunning news, because this is not something that anybody saw coming. Bob Saget was not sick. There were no reports of him having any problems or something. He had actually gone back on tour, row, and he was doing some live shows, and his last tweet was how much he loved being on stage, and then he was found dead in an Orlando hotel room. I think his family actually contacted authorities in the hotel because they hadn't heard from him because he was such a family man and uh, was found unresponsive in that room at the Ritz-Carlton Orlando. Uh, the cause not known, but the sheriff's office is saying no signs of foul play or drug use. He was 65, but he, he seemed very vibrant. First of all, that's quite young. Yeah. And he seemed very vibrant and, and healthy. You know, Not a long history of health problems or anything. So it really was a, a stunning, stunning development. It was indeed. And to a lot of his friends, including me, uh, who I spent a lot of time with Bob over the years, mm. and he always was, you know, <laughs> the life of the party. He was, had this wicked sense of humor. Obviously, legendarily dirtier in live performances oh gosh, than he yeah. was as the kind of the Danny Tanner family man character that he played on television or that that videos show. What do they call that video? Uh, show? America's uh, funniest home videos. He kind of invented YouTube. I know. Because we had to wait till Sunday night to see this uh, <laughs> aggregate, right, of all these collections of basically. Uh, cats playing the piano, people falling down, proposals gone wrong. Right. I mean, that's what that was. It really was the precursor to uh, YouTube, and Bob Saget was the host of that. I know, and I used to make merciless fun of him uh, when we were together about the fact that that was just so opposite of who he really was. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because, yeah, so Bob Saget, uh, always going to be associated with Danny Tanner on Full House. Uh, you and I were not in the target audience for that. We yeah, were past that. But a lot of people grew up on that show. And I know enough about it to know that they had the, the Olsen twins, right? They oh, were yeah. the little ones. And mm -hmm. then I know John Stamos was Uncle Jesse. Mm -hmm. And then they had the Dave Coulier was also in yes. there, right? But but Bob Saget was the main guy, and it was a very, very popular show. And you're right, they brought back, as they've done with so many shows, uh, Fuller House. And then there was this fun, generic, wholesome, wacky, America's Funniest Home Videos. And Bob Saget, he would say often in interviews 
Like he'd say, ask me my favorite episode of Full House. And they'd say, what was your favorite episode? He'd say, the last one. And he, <laughs> he didn't mean that he didn't love doing the show, but it really wasn't how he envisioned his career. But he'd always say, I am so lucky to have these two oh. franchises. Oh. Because then there was this other guy that you saw in The Aristocrats, the famous uh, yes. documentary. And we, we got glimpses of that. He played a version of himself on Entourage in the grand tradition of, of actors playing like worse versions of themselves, yes. which we've seen a lot on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. Right? Where, yes. where Ted Dance is an asshole and Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> is impossible to work with, which is completely <laughs> different from who they are. But he did have this very, you know, raunchy, dark, uh, funny side uh, behind the not even behind the scenes just when he would do stand-up and certainly when he was with his friends like yourself he's got like 30 million hits which is how many i want to inflict upon him instead of saying he says my name he goes bob saget and kids say it in school as a curse word bob saget he hits his thumb with a hammer bob saget i hate this guy somebody told me he died i'm like i'm fine with that so I have to ask you here, Ro, and you know, yeah. for folks, and again, we want to thank everybody for joining us as always. Um, when we do our screen time podcast, obviously we talk about the topics we're going to discuss and a general outline, but we never rehearse anything. We never have in 20 some years of, <laughs> of being broadcast and podcast partners. So yeah. I'm just going to ask you while we're doing this, are you okay with telling the stories and specifically the story about how you... Uh, were kind of the uh, conduit in the romantic comedy uh, of Bob <laughs> Saget's life uh, oh, and, and his second act. And as you mentioned, you know, he was married for a long time and I think had three grown children and then got divorced. And can you pick it up from there? Are you okay top telling yeah. the story? Yeah. You know, I am. I <laughs> This is about a decade ago, I suppose, or a little less than a decade ago. On a Saturday morning, I get a call. I'm like just waking up and... It's Bob. And Bob's calling from L.A. Mm. And it's a lot earlier in L.A. on a Saturday morning than it is in Chicago. Mm. Mm. Two hours to be exact. So he says to me, do you know Kelly Rizzo, who was at that point uh, an Instagram star from Chicago? I mean, one of the, kind of one of the first big Instagram stars. Did uh, uh, blogs and, and posts about right. things, lifestyle. You lifestyle know, improving stuff, your right. life, becoming right. a better person, whether it's through nutrition or exercise, and she would do a lot of appearances on local TV. Right. Just absolutely uh, charming and uh, telegenic and right. smart, and you, you could see kind of like, okay, this could be someone who's going to break out if she wants to go that way with her career. 100%. And she had appeared on the television show that you and I were involved in at the time at ABC, and I'm like, yeah, I know her. <laughs> and she was actually friends with my ex-fiancé, and we we have we happen to have been in bed together at that moment. I'll never forget this exact moment. Okay. I've never told this part of the story publicly. Uh, and you know we're just waking up, and and I get this call from Bob, and he's indicating to me that he would like to maybe go on a date with Kelly. And he didn't know her, right? He had just Not seen her on Instagram, totally on and Instagram, and thought like this is someone who's more than just you know a pretty face, if you will. Right. Right. Okay. But he wanted to get a little bit of a sense. Of you know who she was, okay. and I, I didn't know her that well. My ex fiance knew her better, and I said, so I turned to her and I'm like, "Hey, Bob wants to know uh, if he can ask Kelly out on a date." Wow! And so she gets on the phone. She calls Kelly. So we're literally—it's just like when Harry met Sally, 
right? We're just we're, <laughs> so you're Bruno Kirby and right. your ex is yes. Carrie Fisher in yeah. this story. Exactly. Yeah, and okay. so we're just sitting there talking uh, mm. while we're talking to the other one while you know on the phone. And so I was like, you know, would you mind if Bob Saget called you and went on a date? And it is really funny. As a matter of fact, on a television show years subsequent to this, Bob kind of told the story. Well, yeah. first. You guys are getting the exclusive. How'd you guys meet? Well, through a friend, Ro Khan. From oh, yeah. Another media guy in Chicago? I interviewed Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love him. I was on a show yesterday, and she's known him for years. And I texted him and said, hey, is she a great gal? Because she looks... Uh, too good to be a great gal, oh, and that doesn't thank sound right. Oh, that sounds but, um, thank you, I think. Maybe right. Yeah. So she's a great gal. <laughs> so you're not telling uh, tales out of school, and and then eventually, and it, from what I understand, Kelly was like, "Well, yeah." interested in meeting Bob Saget, but not necessarily interested in him romantically. Right, right. It was kind of a funny moment, I think, for everybody because. And I think I knew something that Bob didn't know at that point, which was she was like, "Yeah, no, but he's looking, you know, he's an older guy. I don't know." And you know, and you know, Kelly, you know, that literally had, you know, basically the world at her feet mm. at that moment. Uh, and then, you know, they went on a date, and he called me. I was after the first or second date, and he was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! I cannot mm. believe how great she is." And and I'm like, well, I'm I'm glad it's gonna work out. And I was just thinking to myself, oh my god, I really hope that she feels the same way. Oh, yeah, right. Because you know, you don't want to break Bob Saget's heart, even though it, it, you know Bob would have told you he didn't have a heart, right? <laughs> but that's absolutely not the truth. And then you know things developed over you know the next year or so. And they came back to Chicago. She she was you know she was kind of traveling the country doing you know her thing, and then she ended up uh, you know with him out on the West Coast, and then. And then, and then they were back here uh, to sort of do a meet the parents. I think it was over Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken. Thanksgiving wow. or Christmas. And 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 he was coming in. He was going to go out and meet. She comes from the suburban family in Chicago. And you know, my sense is that they're proper. And you know, there's dad who's going to meet Bob Saget, Jane Tanner, right? Yeah. As the as, you know, as the you know potential husband. You know, for his daughter, and and I, and I'll never forget the conversation I had with Bob about that, which was like, I I I don't know what to say to you, pal. I just hope you survive the night. Oh my gosh, wow! And, and then he they did. Wound up falling yeah. in love, and uh, you know, she issued uh, statements uh, shortly after this news became public, and her heart is absolutely broken. And, oh, and you I just, imagine you, you just feel so bad for everybody, and his daughters as well. Have these grown daughters have right. talked about what a great father right. he was. This catches me in such a way mm. because uh, you know he's like you said 65 in the modern age is not old 65 is is in a, a pretty unusual age to die at quite honestly and Absolutely. you know when we were little kids or our parents were uh, younger you know people die at 65 all the time this just doesn't happen and and I, i'm i'm you know i'm surprised by all of it but i my heart really goes out to kelly and to you know the whole family because it's just I, it, it's it was unthinkable when I heard about it yesterday. I'm like, this is not even possible. It was one of those where you see somebody's trending and you hope it's their birthday or you hope they said something that's controversial. I've you know I've said this before. I'm like, I wish Twitter would would say something like trending because of their birthday. You know, but you saw his name and you started seeing all these uh, you know condolences and, and official reports. Uh, coming in and it, it turned out to be true. I, I did not know Bob other than really through you. Um, but I'll tell you, wow, Ro, I, I don't know if I've ever seen uh, such an outpouring from 
virtually every comic between the ages of 25 and 80 who's still with us talking about his kindness. I mean, every, oh. you know, you're going to see a lot of that. I mean, we saw that with Norm MacDonald. And by the way, there's some footage of Norm MacDonald and Bob doing some stuff together because both of them were very dark. But Norm was more open about being kind of this, yeah. you know, this misanthrope. Uh, and, and they've had some gr- they had some great comedic moments. But I did not realize how beloved he was. And you, so you're hearing from like Patton Oswalt. I was just at his house. Pete Davidson saying he's helped me through a lot of tough times. So it was a generational thing. Uh, Jeffrey Ross, a mutual friend of ours, saying he actually was at the house yeah. after the news came yeah. in with with a small circle of comics. Nikki Glazer. So I mean, it was like just all these comics on Instagram and Twitter. And it's not just, oh, here's a picture of us. We were at a talk show once. It was like, this guy had the biggest heart. This guy, you know, helped me. This guy was there for me. And sometimes they're talking about, he'd give them advice professionally. But sometimes it was just about how it was lovely to be with him. You know, when I would go out with him here and we go to a restaurant or a bar or whatever, and he was amazingly kind and gentle hmm. with his fans. Hmm. I know a lot of people, you know a lot of people who aren't that way. Yeah. Right? There are, there's a few select people, and those tend to be our friends, actually. Yes. yes. Those who are nice to their fans and get it and understand. And, and it's, you know, because if people adore you, that means that you did your job right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So don't take that. I know it can be scary, and there are certain, you know, types of fans that are, you know, that it can be inappropriate and things like that. But that's just part of it. I mean, don't be in show business if you don't want to be that way. Yeah. And that is exactly how Bob looked at it, too. It was like he was so thankful for everybody's affection and he was really funny about it and sometimes he would play this like game like no that's not me mm. it's somebody else like, no it's not it's absolutely you that's funny you know uh but he did it with a light heart not you know like a jerk and, and he, he he was a it, so giving of his time and and it's funny because you know uh, in in our business you don't you, being close with other people in our business is a dangerous game Right, because yeah. people can be pretty cutthroat. Bob was not that, and which is why I think you see this incredible outpouring from his fellow comics. And and again, I I do encourage people if they've not seen, if you like comedy and you, and you want to see sort of how comedians think, mm-hmm. I, I I think you know we go back to the Aristocrats because that oh documentary <laughs> explains basically what it's like to be a comic and it's all based on this conceit of a single joke and everybody's got a different yeah. version of this one single joke it's an old borscht belt joke that was told maybe a hundred years ago now for the first time yeah right <laughs> some some catskill stage and how everybody has a little twist on it. it tells you about the personality and how they write and how they think and and, and you'll see something about Bob Saget if you're just a Full House fan and a Fuller House fan and all that and sort of his you know you don't know about his stand-up comedy it tells you everything you need to know and again that was a take he was really more of Danny Tanner than he was of this crazy over-the-top dirty comic in a lot of ways yeah absolutely Uh, the New York Times obituary said that Don Rickles labeled him the uh, Jewish Clark Kent 
because he had that look, you know. <laughs> and, that, and that's probably the nicest thing Don Rickles ever said publicly about anybody. That's and I, and Bob true. loved that. But, you know, you mentioned um, the way Bob interacted with fans, and we've already talked about, you know, how great he was as a mentor and colleague and friend. But it, it can't really overstate how famous he oh was because Full House was a generational show, especially, you know, a lot of people now that grew up on that. You know, they watched that week after week. That was on forever. And so was America's Funniest Home Videos in, in both cases at a time where you did not have 576 options. There was, yeah, there was cable and all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah, was yeah, happening. Yeah. But so when we're talking about a ratings hit, it's three or four times what the number one shows get now. You know, people go, oh, my God, Yellowstone has 10 million viewers. If America's Funniest Home Videos got 10 million viewers, they would have said there's something wrong with the ratings night. that night. Yeah. A really bad night. Yeah. And it was very, very mainstream. You know, it was kids, parents, grandparents. And I think he got a kick out of that, that, you know, that so many people just and they just thought of him as this this nice boy from Philadelphia, I believe he was originally from, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, but there were different different sides to him. But I think the fact that he had such self-awareness, you know, that there was more to him than these shows, but also he was not the kind of guy that'd be like, you know, I'm not just Danny Tanner. I'm going to play a dark serial killer in a made for TV movie to show my range. He'd be more like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, All right. this was working. <laughs> right. Well, he was have you smart. seen my backyard? Yeah, it's over there, and then it keeps going. You know. Yeah, no, no, no. He's uh, that's a hundred percent right. And, and you know, I, he's he is such a funny guy, and he and I have to say is because there was a moment when I heard the news, and I literally texted another mutual friend of ours mm-hmm. in the entertainment business, mm-hmm. and I said, "Oh my God, he faked his own death." Oh, jeez. Because he's that, he, that's, you know, how I look at him, you know, like as a guy who, you know, would pull something like that. And unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking in so many ways, I think, for his fans and for people who, you know, adored his work, whether you're a, a Fuller House fan, Full House fan, or you're, or you're like a dark comedy fan or whatever yeah. it is. But, you know, he represented, like, an American in full in so many ways as an artist. And I will miss him for the rest of my life. And, and like I said just a little bit earlier, you know, our best goes out to his family. And, and you know, we mourn with you. Absolutely. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, the Golden Globes were canceled, but were they really? We'll talk about that. But first, Portillo's. They're known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun and, of course, their legendary chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning, my friends. The menu has mouth-watering varieties of favorites from a charbroiled burger to an Italian beef to a mm-hmm. cheese fry to a chopped salad and the chocolate cake. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are a fan of this podcast or heard any other episode of this, you know how I feel about the chocolate cake. It's the greatest chocolate cake in the history of chocolate or cake. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and in Florida, California, and Arizona. Order curbside pickup or delivery today. Ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at portillos.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Now, a year ago, as I seem to recall on this podcast, 
we talked about the fact that the Golden Globes had been canceled, that nobody wanted to see the Golden Globes anymore because they were too creepy. But yet, they refuse to die, which proves how creepy they really are. Yeah, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, of course, came under uh, well-deserved fire on a number of fronts uh, for their techniques, for the sometimes corrupt voting practices, uh, for the lack of diversity, not only in their membership, but in the nominations and victories. And it just completely exploded to the fact, to the point where not even some streaming platform you've never heard of said they'd pick up the Globes. Everybody canceled their contracts. But they decided to move forward. They're, they're, they're supposedly making strides and saying we're going to add members and all this bullshit. Who knows if they actually will. <laughs> but I, I will say and this. Who cares if they do? Well, I will say this. From a strategic standpoint, if they didn't hold some sort of Golden Globes this year, they die forever. So they still had nominations and victors and some, I guess they'll mail them. But here was the deal, Ro. Uh, the Golden Globes were held at the Beverly Hilton, mm -hmm. and I guess they invited a small crowd. I don't think, as far as I know, nobody who was nominated went to the friggin' Golden Globes, but the members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association were there. And what they did then was they announced the winners via Twitter, and then I got emails. All of us who work in kind of the entertainment field, like, hey, look who won. Um, <laughs> so right, well, I want to yeah. run through some of this with you, because okay. is this... As the Golden Globes had been in the past, a little bit of a precursor for award season. Because you got the SAG yeah. Awards and the obviously the Oscars coming up. Yeah, and, and you know we can talk a little bit about the SAG Awards, those announcements coming out, uh, the nominations uh, this week as well, and definitely gaining traction over the years. You know, becoming a better TV show, but yeah. also like a more prestigious thing. Because well, first of all, the, the award is called the Actor, mm -hmm. the Screen Actors Guild yes, Award. It it's the Actor, which is pretentious as fuck. But okay, that's fine. <laughs> But the Golden Globes, Ro, and you and I have talked about this for decades, were yeah. always a farce, but it didn't matter because they were taken seriously by the entertainment press and by Hollywood, and all of a sudden, yeah. it mattered. So if somebody won Best Actor, Golden Globe, they're like, now they're the front runner for the Oscars. So, so because of that, they had all this clout they shouldn't have. Now, does it matter if you win the Golden Globe. Let's go through some of the winners, if you'd like. All right. All I would right. like to do that. All right. Let's 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 go through the best drama, Power of the Dog. That's on Netflix. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, that's the Jane Campion film uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's sort of like this uh, early 20th century Western. Beautifully done. Um, I don't I don't think it's going to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, but, I mean, you, you can't argue with the uh, prestige quality of that okay. film. Uh, and again, we don't really even know who's voting right now in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Did they and, actually welcome new members? It's the, the same 92 people that they've had forever. And who's on the take, right? Because never. Some of them on never. The take. It's a new world, my friend. All right. Uh, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos. I thought she was amazing in that. Yeah, I and, and she's a favorite. You know, Nicole Kidman has always been a favorite of all the awards, whether it's the Emmys or the Oscars. Uh, I will say this, and I like the film. Our friend, mm -hmm. uh, Aaron Sorkin, uh, wrote yeah. and directed this film. The kind of got, I don't know, I don't want to say it got lost in the shuffle, but, you know, it's about, it's, the, it's about the true story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz Jr. And it's this multi-pronged story about the making of the show, but also controversies. She was accused of being a communist. Uh, he tabloids were saying he was having an affair. She was pregnant and wanted to show it on the on the actually on the small screen. I thought she was fantastic as well. There were a lot of people who were like, you know, this social media stuff. Bro. A lot of people <laughs> were saying like oh, Deborah man. Messing should play Lucille Ball because she looks like her. and She's done screwball comedy. 
Deborah Messing from Will and Grace. And I like her a lot. And here's an idea for you. That movie's not getting made with Deborah Messing in the lead. She's not a movie star. She's a wonderful television actress. But Nicole Kidman is one of the reasons, along with Aaron Sorkin and Javier Bardem. Yeah, right. And uh, J.K. Simmons. We were talking about three Academy Award winners right there. Mm-hmm. That's how this movie gets made. And, you know, people are like, oh, she doesn't really look like her. That's It's not an impersonation. Oh, my God. It was... It, you. The for, brilliant performance. Exactly. And you believe it's Lucille Ball that you're watching, and that's what a great actor does when they are acting. It's called acting. Exactly. And what I what I loved about the film, first of all, the production design, that's what I think. Beautiful. First of all, she's not going to win the Academy Award uh, for being the Ricardo. She might get nominated. But I think the production design, the sets, the cinematography, mm-hmm. the, some of that stuff you know, might get nominated. Listen, Aaron Sorkin, for some reason, people... You know, he's so good that then we have to have a backlash against him. But the trial of Chicago 7 got multiple Oscar nominations and deservedly so. I think the film, this film being the Ricardos, will get some nominations. Yes, it will. And this is not your typical Aaron Sorkin structure because it it's not rapid fire dialogue. It's not that it's whip smart. It's, it's smart in its own way. Yeah. And it does take a slice of time, as he likes to do. He doesn't like to do like these anthemic kind of, you know, long arc stories. No, it's, He's taken it's a couple weeks, One basically. moment in Steve Jobs' life, one season in Moneyball, right. uh, et cetera, et cetera. The social network was a little... He wrote that, didn't direct it, but I agree. Uh, I actually talked to him today uh, in regards to another thing, but um, uh, it was interesting because and this is another thing I find fascinating, Ro. A lot of people have this thing now, and this is not just on social media, but even some of the online entertainment things. Whenever a movie comes out that's based on a true story, they then tell us what's real, what's factually accurate, and what's not. <laughs> and there was this big hullabaloo, as they say, a hullabaloo, yeah. uh, because the, the plot elements we, we mentioned, um, the fact that there were tabloid stories saying Desi Arnaz was having affairs, uh, that there was a red scare about Lucille Ball that mm-hmm. you know because she had you know checked a box on some form right uh, that she was pregnant and wanted to make it a part of the show itself and would uh, Philip Morris the sponsor uh, go along with that those events happened over a period of maybe five or six years in the movie they take place Correct. over the course of one week and what Aaron Sorkin told me in our conversation just hours ago he says you know there's accuracy. And then there's truth. And he goes, sometimes you will shift around things and sacrifice a little bit of accuracy for the essential truth. Right. Same thing with the trial of Chicago 7. And here's an idea, folks. Same thing with every movie that's ever been made about real-life events. If you were going to make a movie that was historically accurate to everything and being the Ricardos, the movie would be seven years, six months, and four weeks long. Just saying. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. All right. Okay, Twitter, you can go. Well, you know what I'm yourself. saying. I mean, you've watched all the President's Men, which is one of the most journalistically sound movies about journalism, and they move some things around and fictionalize certain things because it's a movie and right. not a 400-page book. All right, they got to get you through it. Thank you. All right, uh, Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, West Side Story. That's probably going to win. That's what the Golden Globes say, at least. Well, it's definitely going to get nominated for Best Picture, and I love what Spielberg did with that. And then, of course, the, you know, the Globes still have that musical or comedy and drama thing, so they kind of give away two awards. Right, right that's true. Yeah. So, listen, if you won a Golden Globe, either you know for a supporting performance or your film or whatever, I think the studios will still take out some ads, maybe, saying, no, hey, Golden so. Globe winner. I don't know. You no. might be right. You think no? 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 Not it? this season. 
Okay, so what if you're if you're Nicole Kidman? Yeah. And you've won all kinds of awards. Does she give them an address where they could ship it? Like the actual Golden Globe? They have to have physical Golden Globes. I don't know. Does she care? Does she want it? I don't know because she's Australian if she buys into the American cancel culture. So she says, give me my globe? Yeah, she might actually go for it. I think okay. there are going to be some... American actors who are going to be very, very serious about their work and decide that they are going to publicly refute. Well, remember, uh, Tom Cruise says he was sending back, he was going to send back his Golden Globes. And I was like, well, what address <laughs> do you send those to? You know, I guess there's an address. It must and, be the Hollywood I mean, Foreign Press this Association. Is, this, listen, I, and I'm not, I'm not defending the, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association in any way, shape, or form, but once, once the, you know, the tsunami... Uh, hit everybody was denouncing it. Scarlett Johansson talked about how the members made her feel uncomfortable in interviews, which is horrible and terrible. And then nobody wanted anything to do with it. So I think you're probably right. Maybe they okay. don't really use it as any kind of ad campaign. Golden Globe winner, blah 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 from bleedy blah. Uh, I think we have to go back to just identify exactly what the cancel was about. We we touched on it earlier, but really the essence of this. You have been talking about this and writing about this for decades, that it was this small group of people who right. were driven by their own egos. Some of them were writing, what, like just a handful. You had to write four articles per year. You didn't have to be a full-time entertainment journalist. Right. Uh, and they favored, you know, people that were nice to them in interviews. There was a big story about how they all got flown to Paris to interview Lily Collins and other cast members on right. Emily in Paris and got nominations where even one of the writer-producers of Emily in Paris said, we should not have been nominated for these awards. <laughs> right. Because right. uh, they would get these lavish junkets. All of yeah. a sudden, you're getting $10,000 trips. And years ago, you know, nominees would send them watches and they'd take them. And then there was also the, you know, the part about the fact that they had an almost all-white membership and also very, very few persons of color had been nominated for years so it was this snowball effect. Right. Well, I don't think that the Hollywood Foreign Press, as it's currently constituted, unless it turns into this gigantic international real organization yeah. where they have professional journalists as a part of it who are you know working for major publications or you know, television, whatever it happens to be, if mm -hmm. there is such a thing next year, I'm not sure there will be, you know, throughout the world, then, then okay, that makes some sort of sense. And you could make that into like this gigantic thing if you wanted to, so that it really is an international sensation, but they never thought to do that because no. the people who are running it, you know, sort of were, you know, thinking small ball, not the long game. Yeah, and I think we've talked about the SAG Awards, which, you know, again, it's, it's peer group, it's much closer, and it's usually a better indication, at least in recent years, if, if films get a lot of momentum at the SAG Awards, winning Best Picture, Best Director, and I love that they have Best Ensemble. I think that should be an Academy yeah. Award category because when you think about it, it's like the best team wins the Super Bowl. The best team wins the World right, Series. True. And a lot of times, you know, you get these these movies with amazing ensemble casts where everybody really contributed to the success of the film. So, mm -hmm. But I still say... Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're Jason Sudeikis, who won the Golden Globe for Ted Lasso, and I know he's won Emmys and everything, I still say his bio is going to say Golden Globe winner in in there somewhere. You know, they're gonna they're gonna include if they come this back. Stuff. If they come back, yeah. I just don't think anybody will do it this year because there was such a backlash to it. But and and he probably will win that. So, I mean, he's he'll win uh, awards for the rest of his career well, that's now. True. As long as that. Well, so maybe. 
if you won Golden Globes back in the day, yeah, you know, like ten years ago, maybe you put those in the trophy room next to the Oscars <laughs> and the Emmys and everything else. But if you won one recently, you put it in the garage. Have you noticed among my trophies in my trophy room, I have all of Tom Cruise's Golden Globes. I know. That was nice. You're welcome. That USPS. You never know where things might get delivered. Okay. On that note, the Rowan Rover Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. We're back next week with two episodes we've got the return of a very popular film franchise we're going to talk about that also some big tv series are now rolling out some fresh episodes so even though it's january and we're not getting the big summer movies or the oscar contenders a lot of fresh material to talk about Rob. thank you also want to thank danielle robay for sending us that clip of her she was our intern and she mentions that uh, actually, in the clip uh, huh. of Bob Saget describing how he met Kelly Rizzo. And again, our condolences to Bob Saget's family and friends. Renee Nelson and Tim Alanius are our executive producers. And the long-suffering Demita Menezes is our editor and production director. All right, we'll see you next time.